Good morning, Gateway Church. I'm so happy that you're here today joining in online. My name is Caitlin, and I'm here to share with you this morning. So first thing is, did anyone set their alarm clocks this morning to wake up? So I know that I did, and it didn't benefit me because I was up at 3 anyways. But my alarm is usually set for about 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the morning. So if you uh, happen to set your alarm this morning, maybe type in what time your alarm was set for this morning. Maybe you didn't even need an alarm because it's Sunday and church is at 11 up here in Prince George, so maybe you were able to sleep in today. Or perhaps you use an alarm during the week for work or for school. What time during the week do you usually get up? So type in those times. And just so you know, I have my phone here, and I'm going to be watching these comments as they come in, and hopefully I don't get distracted with my Instagram and Facebook and hearts and all this stuff. But type in what time your alarm goes off during the week. And uh, let's, let's see what kind of morning people we are today. So Brad and I are different when it comes to waking up in the morning. I am an early bird. Like I said, I was up at three. That was not on purpose, but my brain turns on. And it's creative and it's ready to go. For example, I can wake up and I can plan a whole birthday party. Uh, for my kids, or um, I can plan, ooh, I can figure out my meal plan for the next couple days within 30 minutes or so. And, and I've been told that's a blessing, but sometimes I think it's a little bit of a curse to wake up at that time to plan those things. But for Brad, he's the other side of things. He, his alarm will go off, and he'll get up, and he like will like don't talk to him, don't look at him, don't get in his way. He's getting to the coffee maker. And then after his cup of coffee, maybe the third cup of coffee, I can say good morning and smile. And usually he'll come in for a hug. And then he'll start to wake up by the time it's ready to go for church. So we are very different on the side of things. And my kids actually follow suit. So Corbin is like me. He gets up first thing in the morning, he eats breakfast, has a shower, and he's done within 30 minutes so he can watch TV before school. And my daughter, Sabri, she loves her bed, she loves the blankets, and she is, she, that's, that's that story there. I'll let her tell you the rest, but she loves to sleep, and she's a teenager, right? Teenagers, if you're watching, teens, you love your sleep, put in a heart if you love your sleep. So today we're going to be talking about alarm clocks and uh, the benefit of those, but also maybe not the benefit of alarm clocks. And welcome. You guys just figured out what type of morning people you are, and you've just let everyone else know what type of morning person you are too. So each night before we go to bed, I ask Brad, did you make sure you turn on the alarm? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, can you just double check? He's like, I did. I was like, just please, for my benefit, just double check that you set the alarm. Because there's been times that he hasn't. But yeah, he's always like, yeah, it's set. All right. Then the morning comes. And there's kind of like two mornings in our house. And one of the mornings is that when the alarm goes off, it's full volume. It's loud. It's obnoxious. It's to the point where I wake up with a headache. And then there's Brad. He's so gifted. He can just lay there. And it's like so loud, and it takes my elbow to his ribs to remind him to turn off that sound. Or there's mornings, like for example for me this morning, you wake up, and 
the alarm hasn't gone off, and you're like, oh, yeah, I have another how much more that I can sleep, and you roll over, and I just, maybe I should check the time. And then your adrenaline pumps, you pump out of bed, and you're like, I slept in. And that's kind of how our mornings go at the Crick House, and it's always, it's always great. It's always fun. Um, and there's always coffee on. So do you have an alarm clock story? I'm sure you do. I think majority of us can agree that having an alarm is something that can be really annoying, frustrating, but it can also be something that helps us to succeed, right? Throwing this out there, that soft harp sound, that won't do the job. So just make the choice today. Change your alarm away from the chirping birds and the soft harp. That does nothing for you. And then there's the snooze button. Now, in my opinion, that's an evil button. You don't touch that button. That button is not meant for you to succeed. It's not. It's meant for you to ignore success. But for those who need it, I'm really curious. Okay, I'm opening my phone now. I'm really curious how many times have you set, have you pushed the snooze button in one morning? How many times have you done that? For me, as a teenager, maybe once or twice. But I'm really curious. So type in how many times... You've pushed that snooze button. Today is day two of our new series called Jesus Is. Who is Jesus to you? Last week we heard Pastor Greg share that Jesus is our friend. And today we're going to talk about that Jesus is grace. And I would like to pray before we begin. God, thank you so much that you are amazing. That you're a wonderful God. That you uh, love us so much that you want to be our friend, that you care for us. And today, God, as we um, unwrap some of the stories that you have put in in the Bible, God, we just ask for you to speak clear today. God, we ask that we experience your grace today, experience your love today. Amen. So what is grace? What is grace? The first thing that popped into my head uh, when I started writing this message about Jesus is grace, is grace to me, as a kid growing up, is like an old person word, right? It's an old person word. It's like, let's say grace before we eat. That's what popped in my mind. So, and I even have a memory that my grandma would, when we go to their house, my grandma would say to my grandpa, Walter, can you please say grace before we eat our meal? And then we'd all hold hands and we bow our head, and he would say a, a grace or a prayer before we would eat over, uh, he would pray for health and that our food tastes good. Tastes good. My grandma was a good cook. Tastes good. That was grace to me. So as a kid with my family growing up, before a meal, sometimes my parents would ask me to say grace <clears throat> or a prayer before uh, we eat. No, I just wanted to eat. God gave us this food. We see it in front of us. Let's just, let's, let's eat. But I figured it down. I got it down to an art. I knew what to say because the shorter the prayer means you can eat sooner. So this was my prayer, and I still memorize it. God is great. God is good. Thank you for this food. Amen. And then we eat. I don't think there was anything wrong with that prayer. And, uh, but eventually, I had it so in my head, so memorized, so automated, that this is how it started to come out. God is great, God is good, thank you for this food, amen. 
And I swear I started speaking in tongues before each meal. God's great, God's good, thank you for this food, amen. And then I think after that, my parents stopped asking me to pray for food. And so there you go. So hint to our young people, God is great, God is good, thank you for this food, amen. And mean it. But the definition of grace in the Webster's Dictionary says it like this. Simple movement or refinement of movement. And my mind goes to ballerinas. Graceful movement, right? Which I am not doing. But graceful movement. Courteous or goodwill. A short prayer <clears throat> said before a meal. A short prayer. Hey, I was right. Or the free and unmerited favor of God. In other words, grace is love and mercy given to us by God for nothing that we have done, but because he desires us. One thing that I personally love about Jesus and who he is is that he's a great storyteller. Jesus told stories that were so easy to understand, and today we're going to tell stories. It's going to be easy to understand. And I bet if he was on earth today, everyone would want to follow him on Instagram. You know, you would want to read his latest entry on his blog. And why is that? Because he was authentic. What he said made sense. It was relatable. His stories that he told were for us to learn something. They were for us. So today we're going to focus on a story found in Luke chapter 15. And it's going to be a storytelling day. And we're going to unpack the picture of God's grace. So if you have your Bibles, you have your phones, uh, turn to Luke 15, and I'm going to tell the story, starting in verse 11. So a man had two sons. The youngest told his dad that he wants his inheritance now. For example, I am the youngest of two sisters, and this would be like me going to my dad, saying, hey dad, I would like my inheritance now. Like the money that you set aside? Yeah. The money you set aside before uh, that when you die, uh, I want that now, please, now. That's harsh. <laughs> That's harsh. That the father's, that the son's father agreed. He agreed. The son's father agreed to this request and gave him his portion of inheritance. A few days later, the son packed up his backpack with some clothing, his wallet, jumped on his bike and said, see ya, I'm out of here. And off he went. His son bought and moved into a mansion, had staff that waited on him, house cleaners that did his laundry, did his dishes, cleaned the outdoor pool, parties every weekend at his place with the most famous DJs, rocking it up, gourmet food, and the best style clothing that outfitted him because he looked good and he wanted to feel good. He had it all. He didn't put any money aside into savings. He had it all and he spent it. And in verse 14, it says, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and began to starve. The son who had it all is now bankrupt, in debt, no way to pay off this wild way of living. His friends packed up and moved on. He was at a low point in his life. A day he had it all to the next day he lost everything. Do you think there would be an alarm going off really loud in his head? And even if there was an alarm going off, he hit the snooze button. In verse 15, it said, He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. A man sent him into the field to feed the pigs. 
The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Again, the alarm is buzzing for him to wake up. And it says when he finally came to his senses, oh, there's an alarm going? Maybe I should do something about that. He finally came to his senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. The son who hit rock bottom, he had a choice to make to hit the snooze button over and over and over again, or wake up to that alarm, come to realize that it's a new day. And then he remembered his dad. His father sure did love him. He gave him his inheritance and let him do with what he wanted to do with it. The son made up his mind. He decided he needs to go back home and to apologize. He knew that there'd be no way for things to start over. But maybe, just maybe his dad would hire him as a servant in the house. So the son sat down on the side of the road and he pulls out a ripped piece of dirty cloth and he starts to write a letter to his dad because, to be honest, he was probably really nervous. He hasn't seen his dad in a while. He made a bad, bad choice. So what do you say in an apology? So he sits there and he starts writing uh, hi, Dad. I'm uh, just writing. I messed up. Yeah, I messed up. And I sinned against both heaven and you. Uh, could you please consider hiring me as your servant in your house? Yeah, that sounds good. And he shoves it in his pocket. And he grabs his rip bag and he starts the long walk home. Unsure of what the future was for him. Now on the farm, his dad wakes up early to the alarm clock, turns it off. He is, uh, his brain is already on. He doesn't have to get to his first coffee. He's already thinking of what the day has in stock for him. He makes his coffee. He smells it. It's like the Folgers commercials. (sighs) Takes his first cup, watches the sunrise out of the window, and gets ready for the day. Before sunrise, well, I guess he watches the sunrise, but then it says before the sunrise, so he's waiting in anticipation for the sunrise. And then he goes outside and it's the sunrise. And he's working outside on the farm. And daily, he would stare down that dirt path. Daily waiting, knowing, believing that one day, And in verse 20, it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Can you imagine a time when you felt such pride for your kids? If you have kids, such pride for them. Now, I have two kids. I have a daughter, and my daughter loves to draw and to read. And I want to be a mom that encourages her, that cheers her on when she tries new things, to see and watch her grow, to encourage her when she's frustrated. So when she's drawing or trying um, a new style, if it doesn't turn out the way she wants it, I want to be the mom that encourages, encourages her to try again or check this book out or let's go look on YouTube and see if there's a way we can draw things. I want to be that mom. And then to the next day where those pictures are up on the fridge and being given to friends as gifts, making cards for family members, I want to cheer her on to be able to, to uh, help her with that gift. My son loves baseball. He plays baseball. 
to watch him from the day one of hitting a ball off the tee to hitting outfield. I cannot contain myself to just be that parent that sits on the the bleachers. No. I am standing. I am cheering. I am being embarrassing for my kid. I am being competitive. Why? Because they're my kids. I care. I love them. Whether they mess up or succeed, whether Corbin hits the ball when he's three and runs to third base instead of first, I still want to cheer because I am that mom. And that is how God feels about you. He is proud of us. He's that parent on the sidelines, cheering, yelling, jumping up and down. He desires us. He loves us through the mess and through the winds. The son's father dropped what he was doing and he ran. Have you ever seen your dad run? I have. I've seen my dad run. And when your father's run, you know it's a big deal. And so I made my dad run unintentionally. We were playing Frisbee, and I threw a Frisbee off to the side, and it landed into some teep grass, and he went out there to go get it, not realizing that underneath where the Frisbee landed was a wasp's nest. (laughs) I didn't mean to do this. And he, he went in there, and it was just kind of down the hill, so I was waiting, wondering why it was taking him so long. And then he comes up like this. And he's running towards me. And I go running away from my dad. I don't go to him. I don't help him. I don't do anything. I go, ah! and I run. And I ran into my house and I closed the door and I locked it. He did not come into the house. It was a big deal when you see your dad's run. He was okay. Love you, dad. But it's a big deal when your dad runs. Sorry, I just have the image in my head. Who's It was a moment. The father in the story picked up his robe, gathered it in his hands, kicked off his flip-flops, and he booked it down the dirt path. And he bear-hugged. He tackled his son. And his his son is like (laughs) on the ground in his big hug. He barely gets out. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worth being your son. And his father ignored all that. And he yells out to his servants in verse 22, Quick, bring me the finest robe in the house. Put, a, put it on him. Get a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Kill that calf that's so fat. Let's eat it. We celebrate with a feast. For his son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost and now he has been found. So the party begins. Now it's really easy to focus on how dumb this kid was, how dumb the son was, and how badly he screwed up. But that's not the focus. That's never been the focus. The focus is the actions of the father. It can be hard to see past the mess in your lives, but aren't you glad that God doesn't see the mess? He doesn't focus on the mess. He focuses on you because he desires you. In Ephesians 2, Verse 8 and 9, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Isn't that awesome? God saved you by his grace. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no rejection from the father to his son. Just compassion, just love and excitement. He threw a party. 
He looked up Pinterest and said, bang, best party ever. Let's do it. He planned it and he did it. Grace is a person and his name is Jesus. Now, if you can picture the father in this story, how compassionate he was, you can actually see who God is. In John 14, 9, it says, anyone who has seen me, as in Jesus, has seen the Father. So how can you earn grace? Well, you don't have to give anything. You don't have to pay anything. That is what grace is about. Jesus is grace. Jesus is a gift that we can accept. Jesus is running to us, robe in his hand, flip-flops back there, and he's running to us and says, hey, I'm here, and you're here. It's time for a bear hug. What did his son do to deserve such grace from his father? That's the beauty of it. He didn't do anything. He apologized, and then he accepted the gift that his father gave of grace. No matter who you are in this story, if you can look at the story and say, hey, I was this character, I was that character. No matter who you are in this story, maybe you've hit the bottom. Maybe you hit the snooze button way too many times. Today is the day. It is your last day. There's no more snooze buttons. Because I want to encourage you, today is the day that when that alarm goes off, it is time for you to stand up. It's time for you to get out of bed, and it's time for you to turn off the alarm because it's time to step into that new day. Maybe you're a parent and a grandparent, maybe a friend who has been praying for a returned loved one. I'm there too. I want to encourage you, take hope. God is with them. Even when you have no idea what they're doing, you have no idea where they are. Wherever, when the father was at home, his son was away in a far off land, parting it up, has no idea. There's no internet, there's no texting, there's no cell phones. He has no idea what his son is choosing to do. We can take hope that God is with them as he is with us. God is offering a gift using the alarm that continually goes off to remind them of a caring God is here. So if you're praying for those loved ones, your prayers are working. Your prayers are working. So I want to pray today two prayers before we end. The first prayer that I would like to pray is that if you are here and you know in your heart it's time to stop clicking that snooze button, it's time to come back to the Father. It's time to turn your life back to Jesus. This is for you. This is the prayer. And there's also a button that you can click for people to pray with you. But if that's you today, I'm going to pray a prayer. And all you need to do is repeat the prayer after me. Whether in your mind, out loud, as long as you say it in your heart, God hears you. So dear Jesus, thank you so much that you love me. Thank you that you come for me. Thank you that you are here for me. Thank you that you have been waiting for me. God, today is the last day that I do not want to push that snooze button again. Today, Jesus, I wake up to you. 
I ask you to forgive me for all the things I've done wrong. I ask you, Jesus, to come live in my heart, come live in my life. I am sorry, but I am ready to make the step with you. If that's you today, click those, that prayer button. There's a team waiting to pray with you. But if you're also here today and you are brokenhearted, you're praying for those loved ones and you're believing and there's days that the burden is so heavy on your shoulders that it's hard for you to even wake up. Today is time for you to wake up. No more giving up. No more pushing those snooze buttons. This is the day that God says your prayers matter. It is not time to stop. It is not time to give up because I have put this burden on your heart because your prayers are powerful and I hear you. So today I pray for you and I just ask wherever you are, open your hearts and say, God, give me the power, give me the strength to wake up. Jesus, thank you so much that you are here with us. God, thank you so much that prayer works. God, thank you that you are a miraculous God. So Jesus, today we ask that those who are praying, those who are feeling heavy hearted, those burdens, God, I just ask that you lift their arms. God, that you let them walk on feathers, God, on air, God. Just let your peace surround them. Let them know that your prayers, that their prayers are not unheard. But today, God, starting today, we believe that prayers are going to be answered. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are the Father, that you are grace. We thank you, Jesus. So today, no more snooze buttons, Jesus. We say we are waking up to a new day, and we are thankful for your grace today. Amen.